I hope that this will be a signal for the future of our state. I hope that our state will invest more in people than we do in our prisons, and that the process of doing that will make the lives of so many Oklahomans better. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the ripple effects of more than 450 Oklahomans having their drug possession and low-level theft sentences commuted. These individuals have already served one year for drug and property theft crimes that are now considered misdemeanors. The Oklahoma Pardon and Parole Board staff said 462 people were eligible for such release, totaling about 1,690 years of sentences being commuted. That is amazing. This is believed to be the largest single prison sentence commutation in U.S. history. And today, November 4th, 2019, they'll begin returning to their families and restarting their lives. To explore this issue in detail, Our own Jacob Beaumont will interview Damian Shade of the Oklahoma Policy Institute. OK Policy is a nonpartisan, independent policy think tank. Damian joined OK Policy in July of 2018 as its criminal justice policy analyst. He's also a member of Mental Health Association Oklahoma's Legislative Advocacy Committee. As for Jacob Beaumont, he is Mental Health Association Oklahoma's Director of Criminal Justice Reform Jacob and his team work at the intersection where behavioral health and the criminal justice system meet. Before we get started with the interview, if you like this show, you can help us reach more people by going to Apple iTunes and giving Mental Health Download a rating and review. Thank you in advance. Okay, let's get started. The Mental Health Download starts now. Thanks for the intro, Matt. As he said, I'm Jacob Beaumont. I'm the Director of Criminal Justice Reform here for the Mental Health Association Oklahoma, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by our guest, Damian Shade. Damian, welcome to the Mental Health Download. Thanks, Jacob. Uh, Really excited here to talk about this particularly historic day in Oklahoma's commutation and uh, this moment with so many families being able to connect with their loved ones. It is great. And before we get started, Damien, uh, I just want to point out for our listeners, I'm going to be uh, using a lot of person-first language today. Uh, here at the association, we default to person-first language in an effort to uh, destigmatize uh, a lot of the uh, individuals we serve. So instead of me saying uh, something stigmatizing like convicts or inmates or criminals, I'm going to be saying people who have been justice-involved or justice-involved individuals. It may not sound very natural to say, or it might be a bit of a mouthful, but person-first language is essential as we continue to break down the stigma of those who have been incarcerated. That all being said, Damien, can you walk us through some of the key events that made this historic commutation event a a reality? Sure. In 2016, uh, voters decided to say yes to state question 781. 780 and state question 781. And when voters um, by about a 58% margin uh, voted yes on those state questions, they did a few different things. They turned simple drug possession from a felony to a misdemeanor, and they took a number of low-level property crimes, and they reduced the criminal penalty for those from felonies to misdemeanors as well. Then under state question 781, they were supposed to 
take the reduced incarceration cost of those lower prison populations that we would have from turning those crimes from felonies to misdemeanors and invest those in county-based mental health and substance addiction treatment um, for those who might be struggling or in the middle of some type of crisis. Um, So 780 went into effect um, in 2017, and we immediately began seeing pretty profound reductions in the amount of felonies that were being filed, both for simple drug possession and, again, as I said, for a number of low-level property crimes. Oklahoma policy's analysis has shown that we've seen since 2017, we've seen close to a 30% reduction uh, in felony filings across the state of Oklahoma. Those numbers actually look pretty more pretty profound when you look at the top level number, about 14,000 fewer felony filings in the state of Oklahoma since that time. Uh, The good news is we haven't seen misdemeanor filings increase at the same rate. Um, So we've actually only seen misdemeanor filings increase about 6,000 in that same time span. Um, So we've seen a profound reduction of the amount of people going to prison for these low level drug and property crimes while at the same time period, we still see public safety and overall crime at about the same level that it was in 2016, actually marginally lower um, if you're looking at larceny and some of the specific property crimes. Um, The other really wonderful component that we're seeing today and we're sort of reaping the benefits of today is a legislative bill called House Bill 1269, which made the impact of state question 780 what they call retroactive, um, which simply means that the people who were arrested for simple drug possession or for one of those low-level property crimes and they were incarcerated uh, for that before July of 2017, those people are also eligible for an expedited release. Um, We saw a commutation docket with more than 500 people um, being granted commutation on Friday, which, uh, again, as I said in the beginning, makes it the single largest commutation, as far as we have records for, in American history, um, which is a pretty remarkable moment that I hope all Oklahomans will feel a real sense of pride around. We are doing something in our state right now that hopefully will become a model for the entire nation of ways to reduce these low-level incarceration, to save tax dollars, and to responsibly allow people to reunite with their friends and families and their lives and hopefully become productive tax-paying citizens, um, hopefully become hardworking people, and just be able to engage in the type of pro-social behaviors that I assume and hopefully our whole criminal justice system is organized around. Hopefully our criminal justice system, and this is one of the signals of that process, will be more about reforming people's lives and making people's lives better than punitive punishments that 
our research and study continues to show do not improve public safety and cost taxpayers millions and millions of dollars that could be better spent. Um, so we're kind of reaping the benefit of what voters did. And in this case, what our lawmakers and our governor did uh, earlier this year in the most recent legislative session by starting the process of releasing those people who are eligible for retroactivity under the changes to recent law. So we're kind of seeing all of those pieces come to fruition this week. Well, and and given the political climate in Oklahoma, maybe you can speak a, a bit about what had to fall into place to make it so Oklahoma, the state that is number one for incarceration in the country, number one for incarceration in the world, it's a thing that you know we're really good at up to this point is putting people in prison. What made it possible to get such uh, overwhelming support for something uh, like a commutation of, of this size uh, to come out of a state that was historically known for its incarceration is now going to come to be known, hopefully historically, for its commutation? I think it's a combination of the practical um, with some sense of the moral and the philosophical. So the practical piece of it is the piece that's most obvious, right? So I like to say that good governance is a math problem. When you look at the amount of money that the state of Oklahoma has to invest in our incarceral system, you see we have invested so much in incarceration that we have so little to invest in our mental health infrastructure and resources, so little to invest in our substance addiction treatment, so little to invest in prison diversions like drug court and mental health court and the types of remedies that we know help keep people out of prison and jail in the first place. Because we haven't made those investments, we continue to see the need for our incarceral system to become more and more expensive. Right now, we're estimating a more than $1 billion new cost to build new prisons to keep up with the growth of our prison population over the next decade. That's a billion dollars that we can't spend on our schools. That's a billion dollars that we can't spend on our roads and bridges. Uh, that is a billion dollars that comes out of all of our coffers uh, without fundamentally making our state better. So I think that brought Republicans and Democrats to the table to say we should not be spending this amount of money without reason. The other really big piece of this I think that affects 780 and 781 directly. We know that it costs between $15,000 and $20,000 on the low end for one year of incarceration in the state of Oklahoma. However, for state-based mental health crisis treatment, um, that cost about $5,000 a year and substance addiction treatment cost about $2,500 a year, meaning that we could spend those amounts of money repeatedly and still incur less cost for the taxpayer than we are presently spending on incarceration. So when you have costs like that relative to a system that isn't giving us the benefits we want, I think the practical answer was obvious for a lot of lawmakers and policymakers. The other piece is the philosophical and moral piece. I think a number of people, as Oklahoma is a 
profoundly conservative Christian state have sort of asked the question, where is redemption in our criminal justice system? If we truly value redemption, if we truly value the idea that a person deserves a certain amount of dignity and even spiritual and personal worth, where then does the chance for a second chance come? Where then does the opportunity to be a better person, to truly embrace changes that make someone a better individual come in? So I believe that there are members of the faith community that have united with members of the business community and the larger infrastructure of service providers who want to make communities more resourced and make our education better, make our overall system of treating people when they are in moments of crisis better. I think all of those communities united to make it possible for a group like us, Oklahoma Policy, to work with groups like America. Americans for Prosperity, um, where we can often find ourselves on opposite sides of the political divide. But when it comes to issues like this, we are often in agreement um, with some of the most conservative voices in our state, as well as some of the most liberal voices in our state, like the ACLU of Oklahoma. Uh, Now that we've talked about the economic impact of this, let's touch briefly on uh, opposition to commutation. Uh, You know, we're coming up on an election year. We have a lot of politicians that for decades now have been running on messaging that involves being tough on crime. And the idea of commutation uh, isn't something that has the universal appeal or or make natural sense to them as as it might to you or I. What are commutation opponents saying about this action? And how does that generally stack up against uh, what we've seen in past commutation efforts in terms of the reality? Most of what I've seen uh, publicly about opposition to 780 generally hasn't so much focused on the notion of commutation, though I think what most of the people who have opposed this particular commutation is, have spoken of is the idea that this is too much too fast that these are so many people coming out of the system without the necessary reentry support, the necessary wraparound services, um, without access to those things, we are creating, we will be unintentionally creating a revolving door uh, where some of these individuals will be put in difficult situations again and go back to some of the same problems that led them to their interactions with law enforcement in the first place. The good thing about this situation is we are beginning to put in place a reentry piece to be able to get ahead of some of those negative arguments before they even begin. So there are numerous church organizations and nonprofits um, that are engaged in the process of these more than 400 people being released today. So every single individual being released from all of the prison facilities facilities coming out today will have transportation. Um, They have connections to give them leads to employment. They will each be given a state-issued ID because of a partnership with the George Kaiser Foundation. Um, They will all have access to some people in the community who can help them with their other elements of finding housing, uh, finding long-term transportation. Um, They've all been given driver's licenses or other their state ID that they were eligible to uh, through the partnership that I mentioned before with George Kaiser's foundation. Um, so these this group of people 
sort of looks like a model of what every person who leaves the Department of Corrections custody should be getting in the state of Oklahoma. These people are being given access to reentry services, which is just proof that if our state engages on this issue, if we're willing to build public-private partnerships, if we're willing to engage the faith community, we're willing to engage the nonprofit community, we can provide these sorts of services every day when people come out of the Department of Corrections or when they come out of our local and county jails. This isn't something that actually needs to be an aberration. This should be the status quo. I think the fact that we can do this for more than 400 people in Department of Corrections today means that tomorrow when the cameras aren't on, we have the resources to continue this process. And there's no excuse for people who've been opposed to this process not to say for everyone who comes out, we want them to have the best conceivable opportunity to be a productive citizen moving forward. And we want to give them the second chance that they deserve and that our state really, really needs the investment in second chances. My friend Chris Steele likes to say this pretty regularly, and I, I say it as well. There is no such thing as a spare Oklahoman. We have no Oklahomans to waste. There are no people. Um, there are no people here who do not have inherent value. And our state is small enough and we are a scrappy little state, um, that seeks, you know, we have our little ways of doing things that are uniquely Oklahoman and ours. And if we want that Oklahoma vision to be carried forward, we need every inmate in the state of Oklahoma to be invested in, in the same way that the people in these mutation dockets have been invested in. So for detractors, I'd say the really big, the, the argument that I would push back on them with is if Oklahoma doesn't do this, what should we do? Why should we continue to be the prison capital of the United States and have taxpayers paying this extra bill to build new prisons when we have the option to do this, when we can release people back to their families, make their lives better, put Oklahoma in national news for a deeply positive story? Why should we do, why should we not do that and invest in more incarceration when we can actually improve the lives of real Oklahomans across this state? Absolutely. Um, and you touched a bit about some of the uh, most common challenges people attempting reentry face, and it's often state ID, it's reliable transportation, it's being given a uh, parole agent instead of a case manager. You know, when, and you've also touched on some of the solutions that Oklahoma has managed to mobilize to address these initial challenges and at least set these people up to, to have a greater chance at succeeding. Um, are there other models or policies you're aware of in uh, other states and communities uh, aimed at addressing some of these other common challenges that we should be considering and looking to putting our own Oklahoma spin on that you think really sets the standard for reentry for individuals? Absolutely. Um, there are models throughout the United States. It's one of the 
positive things about Oklahoma taking so long in this process, though it's caused our system, <laughs> it's caused our system to be- become far too oversaturated and overcrowded and created all of these other problems. We have an opportunity to draw on the best practices, the evidence-based best practices of states across the United States. So since 2032 states in the U.S. have reduced their incarceration population while simultaneously seeing their crime rates go down. So Oklahoma has actually been an outlier in this process. We are one of the few states in the United States that though our crime rates continue to fall following the national trend of crime reduction that we've generally seen for the last two decades, while our crime rates continue to go down, our incarceration population continues to go up. Why should Oklahomans not enjoy the access to those same types of remedies? Um, I think of places like Harris County, Texas, for example, um, where Houston is, where recently uh, misdemeanor misdeme- for misdemeanor offenses, bail will no longer be used in Harris County, Texas. And bail reform is one of those things that here in the state of Oklahoma would next put us into the right position to do better both by the populations of people in our overall correction system, uh, because we know our correction system is more than 111% over capacity. So if we slowed down the entry of people into the system, then we could actually have more probation case managers and reentry case managers and parole and parole officers. We could actually manage the population of individuals who are truly there better if we began with bail reform and pretrial reform. The next piece that I will speak of um, that is definitely important on the mental health in the mental health perspective is Medicaid expansion. State question 802 is a criminal justice issue. We don't speak of it in that context enough, but it truly is one of the biggest criminal justice issues that the people of Oklahoma will have to consider in 2020. We know um, by our research that more than 97,000 people would gain access to mental health and substance addiction treatment if Oklahoma simply brought the federal dollars home that the federal government, uh, that, that we are already sending some tax money to, If we simply brought those dollars home, that 97,000 people would gain access to substance addiction treatment and mental health treatment who cannot currently access it. We know that a massive percentage of our incarcerated population, both in prisons and jails, are people who've experienced real crisis and real trauma. We know that mental illness is not a sign that you are more likely to commit crime. But we know that when you don't treat mental illness, people often end up in the form in the types of crisis that land lots of people into our correctional system and into our justice system more broadly. We know that it's crisis that often lands people in that interaction with the police. So for anyone, even not experiencing mental illness, the moment that your life goes into
into crisis, you are more likely to be in the type of circumstances where your interactions with the police can land you with law enforcement. So an investment in expansion under the Affordable Care Act for the Oklahomans who are currently eligible would be a profound step forward, both for our reentry system, uh, for those coming out of prisons, and to keep people out of prison in the first place. I speak to sheriffs and prosecutors on a weekly basis who tell me they are taking people to jail that they know should never be there. That should never be the case. We should never put law enforcement in that position. Law enforcement is designed to deal with law enforcement issues. But people in crisis, people experiencing homelessness, people experiencing substance addiction uh, uh, addiction issues, those groups of people, the police should not have to bear the brunt of responsibility for dealing with the issues that might come to place with some individuals in those groups in crisis. We have to find better strategies to deal with that. The other component of this, I would say, policy-wise, is building an infrastructure that is designed to divert people from prison more directly. So in Tulsa, for example, we have the Sobering Center, um, which has so far diverted more than a thousand people who might have gone to David L. Moss um, for being found to have had a DUI or to be in a situation where they might have been driving under the influence. These people have been able to go into treatment. They've been able to avoid a criminal conviction. They've been able to keep their jobs. Many of them spent zero time in jail at all simply because that type of diversion exists. That diversion doesn't exist in Muskogee. That diversion doesn't exist in McCurtain County and Love County. That diversions like that, diversions like women in recovery, diversions like Remerge in Oklahoma County, they should exist throughout the state of Oklahoma because it's something we don't talk about enough. But Forcing our police infrastructure and our prosecutorial infrastructure to deal with those issues doesn't just harm the people who are most directly impacted by them, but it harms the entire system. We want our police, we want our law enforcement forcing on what we think of as the most grievous crimes in our society, but the inability to process appropriately these situations that I would describe as not criminal, but actually socially dispositive behavior, behavior that we should be handling in a more constructive and a more public policy health-oriented focus rather than a criminal justice focus. By responding to it with our law enforcement structure, we not only hurt the people who we are trying to help in this process, we hurt law enforcement and we hurt the entire system. The entire system is incapable of processing the people who are most, who most need remedies that don't have to do with jails and prisons when our investments are so skewed towards the incarceral remedies. So a lot of what we've talked about uh, has centered around stigma 
Uh, and so let's dig into that for a little bit. Uh, talk about the the actual practical end of things. These individuals aren't receiving a full pardon. They're receiving a commutation of their sentences. What, what does this mean for the records they're going to be taking out into the public with them as they attempt reentry? What are the implications of that? So a commutation is distinct from a pardon in that your criminal record will still appear uh, if someone were to search you on OSCN, uh, which is the court, the open source court uh, website that's used for Oklahoma, your criminal record would still exist. Under House Bill 1269, which created 780 retroactivity, um, the, the people who are eligible for these changes are also eligible for a new expungement process. Um, the expungement was process was actually written into the law. So they can, um, just as anyone else in the state of Oklahoma can, apply for expungement uh, to see if they're eligible. Um, so the individuals who are being released today, uh, as as well as those who will be released on the next docket will have to go through that process. Just like the there's about 65,000 people across the state of Oklahoma who have become eligible based on the changes to the retroactivity uh, law. So all 65,000 of those people will join this population of people in all being eligible for expungement under the changes to, to new law. And on the other side of that, uh, outside of you know the records they're carrying with them, uh, what can our listeners do to help their friends, families, and, and coworkers understand the importance of breaking down the stigma of people who have been justice involved? Uh, I like to tell people the biggest thing you can do for anyone who's been justice involved is show up, be present in the places where where those people live. If you have not. Uh, visited the local courthouse in your community, spend some time there. Go see, go sit in on some cases. There are court observation groups uh, across the state of Oklahoma right now um, that are involved in a process of observing courts, seeing what bond dockets look like, seeing what arraignments look like. In your neighborhood, in your community, it is definitely different. Um, you can look uh, with groups like Voice uh, and groups like Action uh, here that are doing that work of really trying to get people to get a better sense of what it looks like for people in our court system. The other piece of that is if you know someone who is in a jail or prison, do what you can to visit them. Uh, there are groups like Team in Oklahoma City that regularly conduct prison ministry visits, um, but there are nonprofits groups that are non-religious that do as well. Um, look in your community for ways that you can actually spend time with people who have experienced prison, um, who've experienced jail. Um, people who are justice involved are just like everyone else. And quite often, when I visit jails and prisons, I find people that are are more intelligent than me, that are more well-spoken, uh, that are remarkably talented, um, that are amazing individuals who, 
in many cases simply happened to make a mistake. And one of the biggest differences, and I think where the stigma comes from, is this notion that there is something called, and I'm using very pronounced air quotes here, a criminal, right? There is there is that that criminal behavior is something that has something to do with the essence of a person. And a quote, another quote that I like to use quite often is that every human being is better than the worst thing they've done. I hope that I am never defined by the worst mistake that I have ever made, that it, that it is possible for me to be viewed as more than just that mistake. Uh, and I would hope that we in our criminal justice work and in our conversation, in the language we use, I would hope that we give every human being that same opportunity to prove that they can be best, be, uh, better than the worst thing that they've ever done, to prove that they can be the person that they want to be. I think that's really the worst piece of stigmatizing language to deprive any Oklahoman of their humanity, to deprive them of the sense that they really are a complete human being with dig who's worthy of dignity and respect and love and that they should have the opportunity to live their lives to be their their best selves well uh on that note damien i couldn't think of a, a better message to wrap things up on as we begin to run out of time here um i know that i like to start my day every day and and i mean this very literally with the in the no daily briefing from the oklahoma policy institute it's what i stop everything i'm doing in the morning to stop and read if people want to get hooked into OK Policy, get that daily briefing, get advocacy alerts? Uh, how do they uh, get looped in with the with OK Policy? So for OK Policy, um, go to okpolicy.org and you can sign up for our In the Know, uh, which will give you news alerts for all of the most important news headlines in our state politics, um, information on when our legislature is considering serious bills, um, both in the criminal justice space, but also in all of the other areas that we have uh, policy analysis in. So we currently do analysis in education, mental health, economic opportunity, tax and budget. Um, and we, of course, continue to do our work through Open Justice Oklahoma to really do detailed granular analysis of our court data that no one else in the state of Oklahoma can currently do. Um, so if you want to sign up for our daily newsletter in the know, uh, just go to our website and click on there. And I really encourage everyone, especially people who care about criminal justice, justice issues in this state to please sign up to join our Together Oklahoma uh, group, which is an ad grassroots advocacy group, an arm of Oklahoma policy that works throughout the state. Um, we have chapters in several different cities across the state. So you can go to togetheroklahoma.org and find out where the nearest one is to you. There are meetings throughout the state, and we have upcoming events to advocate with your lawmakers um, throughout the legislative session starting in February. So please get engaged, um, whatever your political affiliation and background. We are a nonpartisan organization simply seeking to make the lives of Oklahomans better. Uh, so if you care about these issues, please join us. 
And I just want to reemphasize everything you just said there, Damien, in terms of what a great resource uh, the OK Policy Institute is, regardless of you know the issues you care about the most. I also want to share that our listeners can sign up for the Mental Health Association Oklahoma Advocacy Alerts on our website. All you have to do is visit mhaok.org forward slash advocate. And with that, Damien, that's all the time we have today. So I want to thank you so much for being on the Mental Health Download. Well, I want to thank you, Jacob, for the opportunity to come and speak about this issue I care so deeply about and that affects so many of our fellow Oklahomans. Uh, As Oklahoma makes history this week, releasing today more than 400 people from our state prisons, um, and we save our taxpayers more than $11 million uh, just from that one commutation release, I hope that this will be a signal for the future of our state. Uh, I hope that our state will invest more in people than we do in our prisons and that the process of doing that will make the lives of so many Oklahomans better. Um, The best thing that I can say today is spend some time looking at the prison system around you, at the court system around you, and thinking of ways that your church, your community, your family, even your workplace could provide support and make the lives of the people around you better. Spend more time, like as I said before, uh, my friend Chris Steele likes to say, there is no such thing as a spare Oklahoman. I hope we'll all spend more time trying to find ways that we can truly add value to the lives of every Oklahoman, because every Oklahoman is truly valuable.